The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. In your truth, we may find freedom. And in your will, we may discover sweet, sweet security and peace. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we do pray. Amen. All things from the front sound better with a mic on. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Chad. Jane stepped onto the stage, frail, thin, but smiling widely. Jane then performed her original song titled, It's Okay. It's quite possible you've heard this song once or maybe many times over the past three weeks. Jane's performance was on America's Got Talent, and it has been viewed over 26 million times in just the past three weeks. I was a few of those. And she's been since interviewed on every major news network. They've talked about her story over and over again. Now, what makes her story so compelling is that Jane has every seeming reason to not be okay. In the last couple of years, her husband has left her, divorced her. She's battled cancer. She was given only a 2, that's 2% chance of surviving. Yet in the middle of 2020, she was declared cancer-free. But it has come back. She has a new batch that she faces now. Yet she stood on a stage and she sang a song about how it's okay to be lost. It's all right that life isn't perfect. That things don't always work out and that we don't always feel secure. Saints, do you want to be okay? Do you want to know that everything is all right? That you are held secure come hell or high water? In the face of the world's tensions, the tensions that make the world feel wildly unsafe at times or make tomorrow seem wildly unpredictable, or even our own hearts and minds that feel wildly insecure at times, do you feel secure? How can we be made secure, saints? What people celebrated in this beaming, smiling Jane is someone who faces the tension of wanting to be secure, wanting everything to be okay, and yet it's not, right? A sabotaged marriage, a sabotaged body. She's living a life that seems not secure, but she still has this confidence that she is okay or that she's going to be okay. Now, it's likely that this comes from her faith in Christ, which has come out over the interwebs over the last couple weeks. But people want to know they are secure, that they are okay, that they will be okay. And to do this, they reach out for security in the pursuit of money, in the pursuit of getting their candidate voted in, because we'd all be more secure if my candidate won, right? Or perhaps it's just in acting more secure, So then at least everyone thinks that we are. Or maybe it's just a stubborn, I choose to be happy. I'm going to be secure. Fake it till I make it. Or at least until my mood or feelings change. Is this you, saints? Is this you this morning? Would you feel more secure if there was more money in your bank account? With your politician in office? with a sickness-free body, or with a persona where everyone says, this guy's got it all together? Is feeling secure just the choice to grit your teeth and again, fake it until you make it? Saints, 
When God says in Psalm 125, you are as secure and movable as a mountain, do you believe him? When he says, I will surround you and shield you, do you believe him? Maybe your knee-jerk reaction is, of course I do. Of course I trust in him. But if someone examined what we do in our weekly routines, our weekly emotional patterns, what we read, where we invest, what we do on the Sabbath, even on the 4th, they may easily say to us, you have trusted in false securities. You have given up on asking God to hold you secure. You have allowed the tension of God's promises and your difficult live now, that tension, you've allowed it to cause you to doubt that he really holds you secure. Saints and friends, God has such good news for you today. And it's packaged in a song of trust, and it's packaged in a song of lament in Psalm 25. We'll look at both those songs, but these two songs, they teach us one thing, at least overall. The Lord holds us secure. The Lord holds us secure. It's because of this that when we face the tension of our lived now, we can know we're okay. We can know we're secure, even in the lived now. In the uh, Song of Trust found in verses 1 and 2, look at verses 1 and 2 with me. There are two different positive pictures of security shown. These two pictures, though, are found, or rather they are for a certain type of people. It's for those who trust in the Lord. Uh, Saints, when you chose to sit down today, you exhibited trust. You were saying, I trust this chair to hold my entire weight, right? You put your entire body down on that chair. Do you put all of your weight, your hopes, your fears, your frustrations, right? All of your life, do you set it down on God? That's trust. That's trusting in the Lord. For those who may not have yet done this, these pictures, these positive pictures are not for you yet, but they can be. As you listen to them describe, know that they are being offered to you today. They are being offered if you would trust, if you would take all of the weight of your life and lay it down, sit it down on the Lord. These pictures would be yours. Verse 1, so those who trust in God are like Mount Zion, immovable, remaining forever. So the picture here of those who trust in the Lord is that they are like a mountain, right? A mountain. But what is so special about Mount Zion? Well, this is the first time we're, we're actually hearing of it in the Song of Ascents, but it's going to be mentioned in every single psalm just about after this for the rest of the summer. So it was this uh, a mountaintop. It was, a, it was a hilltop fortress that David actually conquered uh, these foreigners in Second Samuel. And so Mount Zion perhaps initially to mean the Mount of Fortification. But in time, it becomes known as God's city. And this is in part because David's son, Solomon, builds the temple there, right? The temple, the place where God says, I will dwell there with you. So the picture here then is that a normal mountain, right? A normal mountain is impossible to be moved, seemingly. But what about the mountain where God promises to dwell? It's even more impossible right, to be moved. It, it cannot be moved. That's what those who trust in the Lord are like. 
Verse 2, just like Jerusalem was surrounded by mountains, so the Lord surrounds his people. Right? So Jerusalem, though it's this hill, this mountain, it sits just a, a bit lower than its surrounding mountains. And so they serve as a shield for it. So the Israelites, the Israelite pilgrims, as they'd be singing, they'd be coming to Jerusalem, they'd be coming through that difficult terrain. They were receiving this object lesson of how difficult it would be to ever take or conquer Mount Zion. It was a near impossible fortress to overthrow. And it is said perhaps a bit insensitively that Jerusalem was so secure, it was so secure that it would only need a handful of blind and deaf people to defend it successfully against an oncoming army. It was very secure. But notice this too, this reality in verses 1 and 2. It says that this being secure is for now until forevermore. Freddie Mercury of Queen saying this question for us, who wants to live forever? We do. Everyone does. If you think not, why are we so saddened by death? Why is the person, even the person who believes that we've simply evolved from space dust, why are they so distraught when death comes? It is because within us is the desire to indeed live forever. It's been placed inside of us. No, we do not want to live on in the sinful body, with the sinful mind, in the sinful, horror-ridden world. But to live forever secure, made pure in the secure, strong arms of our Heavenly Father, under the rule of a King Jesus, yes, yes, that is the forever that we want to live Within. It's been put in our hearts. And this is, it's promised here to those who trust in the Lord. So the truth here cannot be said in any more of a confident way. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They are immovable. They are shielded. They are held secure. Okay. Forever. More. Begs the question, do you feel immovable this morning? Or do you feel like a canoe rising and falling in the midst of a raging storm at one moment high and the next low and I don't know what's going to happen next? What would happen if you truly felt secure? What would life look like to feel and live secure? I think observing children, it always can give us good lessons, but I believe observing children's behavior could give us a sense of what a secure life might look like. In the child who knows that she is loved and secure, when her father, and I say father because mothers, I don't know many mothers, maybe Steph, who, who launches the children up into the air. When fathers launch the girl, their daughter, loved and secure, up, in, secure up into the air, what is painted on her face? Is it bliss? Is it joy? Is it terror? The daughter who knows that she is secure or that there is strong and secure arms ready to catch her, it's pure joy. Even in the incredibly insecure position of being three to four feet high in the air, I'm assuming a very strong father here. But consider, consider another scenario of a parent trying to sleep into that very luxurious hour of 8 a.m., right? Only to hear those footsteps at the door. I'm hungry. Will you make me breakfast, mommy, daddy? A child that is and feels secure does not go out the front door across the street to ask the neighbors for food, right? They don't go begging elsewhere. They walk but a few steps and they ask with no fear of repercussions. 
with a child who is feeling incredibly secure not to give any kids an idea uh, to do this, they, they burst through the door, right? Running, springing into the air, aimed at your abdomen, saying, breakfast time, mom and dad, breakfast time. Chiefly, a life that feels held secure would mean that even when we feel like life has launched us up into the air, very insecure, our faces wouldn't show terror. We wouldn't be reaching out, trying to grab other securities. We would be able to have confidence in the tension of being mid-air, or at least feeling in mid-air, that knowing that God's secure arms wait to catch us, or more likely that he's never let us go. Perhaps the sad reality, though, for us today is that if we were to, to rewrite verses 1 and 2 to match our lives, it might say, those who trust in their political party and the Constitution of the United States, in the amount in their personal bank accounts, in their retirement savings, in the strength of their fences or the locks on the doors on the front and back of the house, or perhaps even in the love of a spouse, a parent, a child. Those who trust in those things are like a kayak in the middle of a hurricane. They are tossed to and fro. Saints, because it was made inside of us to have this desire to find security through trusting in God, when we don't, when we don't, we will look for security elsewhere. And I should be clear, it's, it's not bad to support a leader who may bring flourishing over destruction. It's not bad to save money or plan for the future for your family. It's not bad to build fences or lock your doors or to be comforted in the love of a spouse, a parent, a child. But those things cannot provide immovability. They cannot make us okay, secure, forever. What a good practice it might be for us when we lock the door before we go to bed at night to say, God, thank you for locks, but they cannot hold me secure. God, thank you for savings accounts, high interest ones at that, but they cannot keep me secure. Thank you, God, for my family, but they cannot keep me secure. But you do. You do, God. The Apostle Paul says something similar, but in a very uh, different New Testament type way. In Philippians 3, 8 and 9, it talks about this, what keeps him secure and what he counts the world as. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. That's trust, faith, trust. So friends, in Psalm 125, the pilgrims that are singing here about perfect security, perfect shielding, perfect immovability, that is found in him. In Christ Jesus. That's the fruition of that, that song and that prayer. It's there. It's in Jesus. And we can live with confidence that we are secure by leaving those false securities behind. Even good things behind and trusting that we are secure in him. We can face the tensions of feeling mid-air, suspended. And we can still be secure to ask. Would you give me faith to believe? We can stand at the door. Father, would you give me faith to believe that I am as secure as you say I am in him, in Christ Jesus? As secure as Mount 
Zion. We can ask for that security, friends. Because it's already ours. It's true. Because the Lord holds us secure, we can face the tension of feeling mid-air but not reach out for false securities. Rather, we can make the secure at the bedroom door childlike request to believe as we are in fact secure. So that is the song of trust that they sing in one and two. Now, the song of lament in verses three through five, that's not a word we use every day, right? We gotta make lament great again, okay? We need to bring this word back. So what is it? Many may initially think this is simply a complaint or complaining. In the scriptures, and well, perhaps today as well, complaints are a form of accusing God. You don't give me what I want. That's a, that's a complaint, right? However, a lament is an appeal or a request to God based on confidence in his character. Laments in scripture are intensely personal. They assume relationship and the, and the goodness of the character of the one you're making the lament to. So in verse 3, these, or in, even in these verses as a whole, we hear the pilgrims singing of their lived now, the moment that they're in. Yes, yes, they believe in verses 1 and 2. But their live now is not feeling like 1 and 2. They languish under a wicked king. Now, the word uh, scepter here is, is a rod, right? It's something that a king would hold, but it's even more so a symbol of a wicked king's rule or any king's rule over, over people. Now, it's likely that Israel could have sang the song at many times in history, whether they were under the wicked rule of, of being in Babylon or in Persia or wherever they might be. Or perhaps even they were in Israel, right? Their kings who were supposed to love God did not. They refused to obey but in verse 3, the Israelite pilgrims are singing that wicked kings will not always rule over them. It's not okay right now, but someday it will be. Their reasoning, though, in verse 3 may seem a bit curious, right? It says, or if we paraphrase, it's so that the righteous, God's people, will not be tempted to do wrong. You see, kings in many ages would require their subjects to worship them. Right? Like as if they were God and they would face death if they didn't. Right? Early Christians, we know, wouldn't worship the emperor in this way. Or they wouldn't worship the local government's deity. And therefore, they were banished from working. They couldn't work. They couldn't get a job. They couldn't provide for themselves or their families. They could be tempted to sin in that. Perhaps in time, they could grow restless of this unrighteousness and try to get justice for themselves. For themselves, Right? Or what's more likely and what we see painted across the pages of the Old Testament is the righteous begin to accept the wicked king's rule. And they begin to live like the culture that flourishes under that king. But again, their song in verse 3 is, God won't leave us forever. He won't do it forever. We're not even left now. Verses 4 and 5 uh, might make us a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, because we know Romans 3, it says this. It says, everyone has sinned. No one is good. No, not one. So who are the good here? Well, it's common in books like the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We hear them talking about the good and the wicked. And Psalm 1 actually sets the tone, tells us who is the good, the righteous man. It says uh, the, uh, that he delights in the law of God. The good, the righteous one is not claiming sinlessness, no. Rather, he's saying, unlike the wicked, I trust 
in the Lord. I delight in him. I delight in obeying his command. In verse 5, the psalmist goes on uh, to desire for the wicked to be taken away. Again, another place where Westerners become a bit uncomfortable when psalmists pray for judgment on anyone. It may be that we, uh, we know the wickedness of our own hearts at times, or at least the wickedness before God changed them. We too would have been liable to judgment. But friends, we know our world is filled with horrors and harms every day. These things which destroy people, these things are also a defiant slap in the face of the holy God. So our desire for the unrepentant wicked is, is perhaps this, is that they would repent and believe in Jesus, receive forgiveness. But if they should not, we can take no issue with verse 5 in saying, let them go their way to destruction, God. May you not be defied any longer. The last line of verse 5 then is, peace be upon Israel. This could almost be a simple reiteration or the end product if verses 3 through 5 actually happened or what it became or began to happen there. Right? Verses 3 through 5 are praying what we are certain is true in verses 1 and 2. Immovable, secure, shielded. May we see it come to fruition in the lived now of life. Verse 3, with a righteous king ruling over us. Verse 4, where God does good to those who trust in him. And verse 5, where those who refuse to ever repent in this life will be taken away. If those things happened, indeed Israel would have peace. Saints, here lies the tension, okay? Here lies the tension. We have to get this. In verses 1 and 2 in the song of trust, in verses 3 through 5 in the song of lament. Verses 1 and 2 are true. Yes, God does not lie. Verses 3 through 5, though, is the lived now. Your people, God, don't look so secure. They face a wicked rule. They face a culture who, pressure, who pressures them every day to come and give allegiance to them. The psalm is teaching us again this, that because the Lord holds us secure, we can face the tension of the live now, where we are here today, and we can still know that we are okay, that we are secure, better than okay. I think there's this interesting example of this played out in the macro movement of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a great series. If you haven't read it, read it. In the first book, the magician's nephew, we're introduced to this creator king lion, right? He's, he's singing. His name is Aslan. In nearly every book, though, there's a problem that shows up. An evil, wicked witch, right? A wicked ruler with an ironclad army, some missing lords that we need to go find on some boats, etc. But for the reader, as you read these stories, as you enter into each one, and no matter how bad the problem is, there's this tension in the back of your mind. And it even comes out on the lips of the main characters at times. Where is Aslan? Where is the creator king who could set all these things right, right now? Where is Aslan? Saints, do you live with that tension gnawing in your mind? Where is the Lord? We are like the readers of the Chronicles of Narnia. We know the Lord could set all things right. And my goodness, read verses 1 and 2 again. What a promise. Why can it not be set right? Where is the Lord? Is he not aware of wicked rule? Is he not aware of the culture closing in on us? That we're tempted to give in to this. 
Doesn't he see that the good receive evil and the evil seemingly receive good every day? It's this tension. Friends, when we don't resolve this tension, we are tempted to go the way of verse 3. Remember, saints living under wicked rules, surrounded by wicked culture, tempted to sin. We can consider our own present very secular culture. It's dominated by love of money and possessions, by overworking and ignoring the Sabbath, by avoiding the needs of others and calling it healthy boundaries, or telling people they can be whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. Are any of those things found in your own heart today, saints? Have we become so at ease with our own culture that we begin to live like that culture, overworking, not not helping in the needs of others, loving money and possessions. When people don't resolve this tension, when people don't resolve this tension, they may go the way of verse 5. The language of verse 5 says, those who turn aside. It's quite possible uh, that this isn't speaking of foreigners who didn't trust God. Rather, it might be speaking of the Israelite in the pew next to these guys. They turned aside from the Lord. They preferred their own crooked desires and ways. Friends, in the last three to five years, I've had dear friends, dear friends, feel this tension, desire the, the, the sin within, and they've asked, where is the Lord? I don't believe he holds me secure. And their response is, I don't need his security. I'll find my own. Do you feel any of that temptation within you, that tension in the face of it? Are you tempted to say such things like that? When you feel the tension that we clearly see in the psalm, do you say, if I don't believe he's holding me secure, I don't need his security? If you feel tempted to believe that today, friends, you need to hear, you need to hear that it is God's will for us to remain in the tension, the tension of what God promises and what's already true, but not yet fully here right now, in our live now. We need to accept that tension. I believe Jesus in John 17, he prays this uh, to his heavenly father on the eve of being arrested and crucified, and he prays for his disciples and for those who would believe in him later. That's us saints. He says this, he prays this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus' prayer tells us that it is not God's will right now to suck us up into heaven, right? To take us out of the world. No. He is praying that we'd be kept from the evil one, from the destruction of our faith to be taken away. But we are here as light saints so that other evildoers would hear us singing our song of trust, that song of trust, and saying, you too, You too can come and sing this song with us. You too can find security and be secure forever. It's God's will that we remain in the tension. And because it's his will, we can even actually have more security. He's got me. He's holding me secure even in that tension of these two songs. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. But part of how we face this tension is by learning to pray laments. Remember, laments are not complaints. They are intensely personal appeals. Ones that sound like verse 3. 
Lord, the crucified and risen King Jesus, come back. Do away with the wicked rulers of my day. Or like verse 4, crucified King Jesus, do good. Do good to your people who trust in you here. Hold us secure while we face the horrors and harms of our word, of our world. Or like verse 5, Lord, let the evildoer repent. Let him repent and learn to trust in you. Let him not be taken away to do harm no more or defy you no more. Saints, the Lord holds you secure. You can face the tension of your live now by learning to pray laments to the crucified, risen, and coming back King Jesus. To close, uh, the theologian N.T. Wright, uh, he writes in a short blog recounting part of Dr. Russell Moore's book, uh, which is called Adopted for Life. In this book, Dr. Moore's family is actually in the process of adopting uh, adopting a child, and he describes visiting an orphanage in Russia. Dr. Moore said that when they came to the the nursery, it was completely silent. A pin could have dropped. And they would have heard it. The cribs were filled with babies, though. But the silence remained. They never cried. It wasn't because they were all okay, fully secure, having no needs. Rather, it was because they had learned that no one cared enough to answer their cry. Church, saints, we must not live like a silent nursery. God holds us secure, and he he cares more than enough, more than we could ever dare imagine. He wants to hear our voices at the door. Father, will you give me faith, greater faith to know I am indeed secure? When I am in the tension of feeling in midair, would you give me confidence to know your loving, secure arms are below me, ready to catch me, or that they just never let me go? that I may know that my life is hidden in him, in Christ. We can sing the song of verses 1 and 2, the song of trust. Again, church, we must not be a silent nursery, but we must learn to sing, pray, and cry laments in the tension of this life, that tension that we live in, that is still God's will for us to face today. But out of that tension, we pray, King Jesus, Maranatha, come back today. Set your rule right, King Jesus, on earth. Or like verse 4 and 5, do good, O God. Do good, O God, to your people. And bring my unbelieving co-workers, friends, and family that I see on the fourth who defy you. Bring them to repentance and faith, Lord Jesus. And if they should not, let them go away with those who defy you. Saints, Because the Lord holds you secure, you can confidently face the tension of your lived now, knowing that you are still and always will be, okay, secure forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hear your promises. We hear the good news of verses 1 and 2 that we are made secure forever. Even when we are tossed into midair by life, you hold us secure. God, even in the face of the tension, we cannot understand whether internally or externally around us. God, you tell us that it's your will that we remain, that it's your will that we continue to teach others to sing the song of trust as they trust in Jesus and are found in him. 
Oh, may we learn to not be a silent nursery. May we learn to walk out these doors and pray in the same way we do here each morning, lunch, and evening. Thank you that you hear our laments. Thank you that you wait for our voices to be heard. Thank you for making us secure. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.